Welcome to The Upward Journey, the podcast ministry of Upward Christian Fellowship in Flat Rock, North Carolina. Mr. Rogers once said, I believe that appreciation is a holy thing, that when we look for what's best in a person we happen to be with at the moment, we're doing what God does all the time. So in loving and appreciating our neighbor, we're participating in something sacred. But when it comes to loving our neighbors, where do we start? How do we push past our own nervousness? We explore these questions and more in our series, Bless. We're thankful you're here. Let's continue the upward journey. All right. Hey, in case you don't know who I am, my name is Greg. I get the chance to serve as one of the pastors on staff here at Upward. And I'm excited to be able to share with you uh, the message today in God's Word for as it relates to serving. And uh, as we were talking about the idea of uh, having Mr. McFeely come into the neighborhood today and making a speedy delivery, a uh, pastor came up to me and said, hey, if anybody's going to do speedy delivery, it should be Greg. And you guys are laughing, and I don't know, I, I still don't get it. I don't know. I don't know why. Uh, no, yes, I do talk fast. Uh, yes, I do try to slow down. Uh, no, it's not going to happen today, and uh, we're just going to keep working on it. No, I, I really am excited uh, to be able to share with you the message for today and looking forward to it. Uh, as you saw in the video, we had a great day last Saturday as we had our, uh, our next serve day that took place. Amen. We had uh, 80 different people that showed up to went to eight different locations. Uh, we went to the storehouse. We went to Open Arms Crisis Pregnancy Center. Uh, we were at Cross North Foster Care and Adoption Agency. We were at the Hope Center. We were at Curriculum. Clear, 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 clear Creek Elementary as well. We also uh, helped out at a couple of different foster families as well as made care packages for patients at a local nursing home. And man, it is so uh, exciting to be a part of a church that is grabbing hold of this value that we have called unconditional service, where we serve and we don't care who gets the credit. That as long as Jesus is made known and people know that Jesus loves them, that it doesn't matter whose name is on the marquee or anything like that, but it's so refreshing and exciting to be a part of a church that is literally being the hands and feet of Jesus. So thank you so much for being a part of that and supporting uh, those initiatives. But today, what we want to do is we want to be able to talk about what it means to serve, not in a group context like here at the church, but what does it mean to serve our neighbors? What does it mean to serve uh, those that we work with? What does it mean to serve those that we play with and that we do life with? Uh, we have been in the middle of this series called BLESS, and BLESS is an acronym, and we've been using this as kind of our uh, strategy to be able to share our faith with those that we live around. And the first week, we talked about B, and meaning begin with prayer, and then week two, we talked about the L, which means for us to listen, and then last week, we talked about the E, which was by far my favorite one, as we got a chance to talk about eating and how we can use eating to be able to share our faith with those that we encounter every single day. And so today, we're talking about the first S, and we are talking about serving, and so uh, if you've got a Bible, you can open up to Luke chapter 10. That's where we're going to be at today. If you've got a tablet or your phone and you want to open it up there, you can do that. If you don't have any of those, uh, the words will be up on the screen so that you make sure that you can follow along as we read. But before we dive into Scripture, I want to give you a little bit of background as to what's taking place here before we start reading God's Word together. Uh, what we've got here is that Jesus is engaged in a conversation uh, with a Jewish lawyer. Some versions of Scripture call him an expert in religious law. And he comes and he asks Jesus a really important question. The question is, Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Probably a good question to know the answer to, right? That's something that we want to make sure that we hold on to. And so Jesus, I don't know if you've ever noticed, noticed this or not, but Jesus very rarely answers a question directly. It's usually a question with a question. And so he responds by saying, well, what have you been taught? What have you read? What has been handed down to you throughout the generations? 
And he responds back and he kind of summarizes everything up by saying, well, the most important things to do are to, are to love God and to love your neighbors. And Jesus responds back by saying, you're right, you're correct, do this and you will live. Well, the Jewish lawyer takes it one step further, kind of to justify his position a little bit. He turns around and he asks him, well, who is my neighbor? You see, we have already begun to answer that question over the last couple of weeks. In week one, we had those little, little who is my neighbor cards. And hopefully you've had a chance to fill those out and put some names on there, the people that you uh, live around you or the people that work with you, uh, people that you encounter on a daily basis, and you've been writing those names in, you've been praying for them. If you haven't gotten one of those cards yet, we still have plenty of those cards available. You can grab one before you leave today. If you're watching online, and we're so glad that you're watching online, but uh, if you don't have one of those cards, email us, and we'll be glad to get you one of those as well. But make sure you have those cards because those right there are helping to determine who your neighbors are and who you're praying for and who uh, you are hoping to come to know Christ. And so when the guy asks Jesus, who is my neighbor, Jesus answers and responds with a story or a parable. And that's what we pick up in Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 30. And here, here we go. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time that I'm here. Now Jesus, turning back and talking to the Jewish lawyer, uh, kind of removes himself from the story. He asks him a question. He says, now which one of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. You see, if we're going to be people, if we're going to be individuals who go out and are willing to serve our neighbors, and there's a couple things that come out of this passage right here that we need to make sure that we're paying attention to, that we need to make sure that we begin applying to our lives. Jesus introduces us to a Jewish man who's on his way from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Now, this right here wasn't just your ordinary route, okay? It was about a 17-mile journey, and it was extremely, it was highly dangerous, you see, there was a rocky terrain that was along this road and lots of caves that kind of lined up on this road right here. And it was a great place for criminals and thieves and bandits to be able to hide out and wait for a victim to walk by. And when the victim would walk by, they would jump out, they would beat them up, uh, they would rob them blind, and then they would make sure that they left them there where there was nothing left. And that's exactly what happens to the Jewish man that we're introduced to in the story. He's walking along this road, he gets beat up, he gets everything taken from him, including his clothes, and he's beat up so bad that he's left for dead. Now, I don't know about you, I hope this has never happened to you before, but chances are in a room this size, probably there's been several of us in here who've experienced what it's like to be robbed before. Somebody has taken something from you that didn't belong to them. I know, I know that's happened to me before. When I, was, when I was about 13 years old, my family and I, we had gone on vacation. And when we came back, uh, when we came back, we noticed that the front door of our house was busted open, was broken into. And so we called the police and they came out and sure enough, somebody had broken into our house while we were gone. They stole money, they stole jewelry, they stole rifles, and they stole CDs. For our younger audience out there, CDs were these little discs that you used to listen to music on. All right, uh, it, was, it was right after records and well before MP3 players and Apple Music and Spotify. Okay? But there's something that happens to you when, when you're in that place and you get robbed. Uh, it's not just about losing those possessions, right? It's about you know, there's a loss of security there. 
There, there, there's a loss of, uh, you almost like you start feeling really, really vulnerable uh, during those moments and times. And so this guy right here, yes, he's gotten beaten up pretty bad. And yes, he's been robbed of everything that he had. But it's also now he is, he's lost and he's vulnerable. And he's lost his sense of security there as well. And so that's where the, kind of what's happened to this man. And so then we find out in verses 31 and 32 that while he's lying there, uh, uh, the temple priest, as well as a temple assistant, they come by. Except for they come by and you would have expected that there would be help that would be provided. You see, if you'd have been a Jewish individual hearing this story and you'd have heard about the priest and the temple assistant coming by, immediately you'd have gone into mode of, all right, finally, help has arrived. Hope is now here. God has sent me somebody to help me. God has sent somebody into my situation, into my life, to be able to provide me with support, to be able to provide me with help. Only problem is, is that both these individuals coming at two separate times, they see the individual, they see the man lying beside the road, and they walk to the other side and walk on by completely avoiding him, completely ignoring him. Now, we don't know why anything like that happened. We don't know why they didn't stop. Maybe, maybe, they, maybe they were scared. Maybe they were terrified. Maybe they felt like that the criminals were still around and they were just waiting for another opportunity, waiting for another victim. And if they stopped, then they might be the next victim. Maybe they had somewhere to be. Maybe they had, maybe they had dinner on the stove and they didn't want it to burn or they didn't want it to get cold and they were just really, really hungry. So they got on by. We don't, we don't really know why they didn't stop. But perhaps the question for us is not, why didn't they stop? Perhaps the question for us is, why don't we stop? You see, if we're going to be people who serve our neighbors, we must be people who slow down and stop. Chances are that you and I, we see needs around us every single day. And for whatever reason, we don't slow down and we don't stop. Oftentimes, we use the excuse of, man, I'm just so busy. I'm just so busy. Think about it. When you go around and you say hello to somebody or introduce somebody for the first time or maybe for the first time in a while, and they ask you how you're doing, usually we give one of two responses, right? The first response is usually, oh, I'm fine. Things are fine. Or the other response is, you would not believe how busy I am. Wow, things are so busy at work. Things are so busy in my house. Things are so busy with our family. I went to lunch uh, last week with a friend, and both of us used that exact same phrase, man. It's just things feel like they're going 100 miles an hour. We're just so busy. Things are just so busy. A recent survey was done, and over 70% of Americans say and claim that their lives, they describe their lives as being very busy. There was a story one time that I read about a lady who came to our country from a different culture. And she was going around, and she was saying every time she would come and she would meet somebody new, she would always say, hello, I'm busy. Hello, I'm busy. Hello, I'm busy. And finally, somebody pulled her to the side and said, why do you do that every time you say hello to somebody? Well, she said, well, when I first came to this country, that was always, that's what everybody always said. And so I just assumed that that was a part of American greeting. So I just started saying it. So every single time it was, hello, I'm busy. It's funny, but I can't tell you the number of times that in the first 30 seconds of talking to somebody, it's usually, hello, I'm busy. I think busyness is one of the greatest enemies to serving. Because we get so caught up and so wrapped up in the things that we need to do places that we need to be, the things that are on our to-do list, that we miss out on the people that God is sending along our path. You see, when we are busy, we stop seeing our neighbors as individuals, and we stop seeing them as people, and we start seeing them as interruptions. And I don't have time for interruptions because interruptions are an inconvenience. We got places to go. We got things to do. We got people to minister to. Got to be about God's work. That's what I say. But all of a sudden, people are no longer people. 
They're no longer individuals. They're nothing more than interruptions. And those interruptions have now become an inconvenience into our lives because they don't fit into our schedule. The only problem with that is, is that Jesus welcomed interruptions because Jesus welcomed people. There's this one specific time that Jesus is on his way to go heal a synagogue leader's daughter. He had gotten word. They had, they had come to her and said, hey, she is near death. She is almost about to die. But we believe that if you'll come to this house and you'll lay hands on her, that she will be made whole. So Jesus is on the way. And while he's on the way, this large crowd of people, they start gathering around him. And then all of a sudden, he just stops in the middle of the journey. He stops and he looks around at his followers. And he goes, who touched me? I've just uh, Power has just left my body. What they didn't know is that there was a woman in the crowd that day who had been suffering with the disease for over 12 years. And she had spent all of her money. She had been to see every single doctor there was. And she couldn't find any kind of relief. No help whatsoever. But she heard that Jesus was coming into town that day. And she just thought, man, if I can just get close, if I can just touch him, then I know that I can be made well. And so she did something she wasn't supposed to do. She went out into public. She got into this crowd. And she couldn't actually touch Jesus, but she was able to touch his robe. And word says immediately that she felt healing come into her body. And so Jesus stops the crowd. He says, wait a minute, somebody touched me. I felt power leave my body. He turns and he finds her and he begins to talk to her. And there's this healing that takes place beyond her physical healing. And he begins to heal her mind. He begins to believe, uh, heal her heart. And he begins to heal her soul because he looks at her and he calls her daughter. And he says, your suffering is no more. Jesus could have kept going. Jesus didn't have to stop. Jesus was in a hurry. And according to cultural standards that day, that little girl would have been more important than the woman that day because of her, because of her family and, where, and background and where she came from. But Jesus stopped. He slowed down. And he saw her not as an interruption, but as an individual. And maybe for us, if we're going to start serving our neighbors, perhaps we've got to start changing our perspective a little bit and start seeing people not as interruptions in our schedules, but as individuals who need God's love. What if we began to look at every single person we came across? What if we began to look at the names that were on that, that who is your neighbor card? We began to look at them not as interruptions, but as individuals who need God's love. I began to think about it over the last week. How many individuals have I ignored because I've been too busy? Because I've got some things to do. Because I've got to get to that meeting, or I've got to get to that group, or I've got to get to that place, or I've just got something I've got to do somewhere I've got to be. How many individuals have I missed? If I'm honest with you, man, I struggle with this. I struggle with this a lot because, it, it, for me, it's about being busy. I, I like being busy. And, I, and man, for the longest time in my life, I remember I, I would wear busyness like a badge of honor. Like it was something to be proud of. Like it meant success or like it meant the fact that I was important or it meant that, I was, uh, it meant that there was something special about me because of how busy I was. Not, I'm kind of ashamed to admit it, but there were times and there were weeks where I would look back over the course of the week and I would count up the number of hours I had worked that week and then I would brag about it. Yeah, I know there's something sick. You never do that or anything like that. There's something sick about me doing that. I get it. All right. But man, there was something in me that would just sit there and say, man, I, I, I like being busy. That was until my wife sat me down and we got to having this conversation. He said, you know what? You're so busy doing things that you're missing people. I think that's kind of the nature of our culture. We get so busy doing things that we're missing people. And how can we serve people if we're missing people? Corey Tim Boom once said it this way, the devil can, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. And there's a lot of truth in that because they both do the same thing. 
They separate us from God, and they separate us from people. And as the Jewish lawyer already said, and then Jesus confirmed, the two most important things, love God and love your neighbor. We can't be so busy that we're missing our neighbors. So we've got to slow down, and we've got to stop. Thankfully, in this story that Jesus shows us, somebody did stop. Luke 10, finds out that a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. What's happening in this culture, in this context right now, is that uh, the Jews and Samaritans, they hated one another. They were not friends. They didn't get along. They would do everything they possibly could to avoid one another. They despised. There's a reason that word despised is in there. is because that's the way that Jewish people felt about Samaritans. They were despised, and they were very public about the way they felt about one another. You see, we read the story, and we've already read it all the way through. We know that the Samaritan ends up being the hero. He ends up being the good neighbor here. He ends up being the one who stops and slows down and helps out. But in this culture, if you've been hearing the story for the very first time, there's no way that any good Jewish person would have thought that the Samaritan would have slowed down and stopped or done anything. There's no way that that person right there would have offered a hand and offered help. There's absolutely no way that should have happened. The hatred was so bad amongst them that if you go towards the end of this story and Jesus looks back at the Jewish lawyer and he asks him, Hey, who was the one who was the good neighbor? The Jewish lawyer couldn't even say the word Samaritan. He can't even say what, where the man came from. He just simply said the one who showed mercy. Think about how bad the hatred has to be that you can't even say the word Samaritan. You just got to find a different way to describe that individual. That's how they felt about one another. But something incredible happens in this story that shouldn't have happened but did. The Samaritan saw the Jewish man. He saw the situation that he was in. He saw the state that he was in. Even though cultural, uh, cultural ties should say that they were enemies, he looked at him and he had compassion for him. We're going to be people who serve our neighbors. We're going to slow down and we're going to stop, but we're also going to show compassion. The Greek word for compassion is the word splatnizomai. As Mr. Rogers likes to say, that sounds fun to say. Would you like to say it with me? I'll say it with me this time, all right? Splak ni zo mai. Let's do it one more time. Splak ni zo mai. Very good. Now you can speak Greek. Who knew you were going to come to church and speak Greek? Good job. All right? Hey, but the Greek, uh, the Greek word here literally means for us to feel sympathy or to feel pity for someone. But the Greek also takes it a step further and gives this great idea of being able to paint a word picture for us so that we can really grasp a hold of it. So here's the word picture that the Greek language pa- paints for us. To have the bowels yearn. Okay, so that landed about as well on you as it did on me the first time that I read it. (laughs) To have the bowels yearn. See, so uh, in Jewish culture, uh, they would have been talking about uh, deep-rooted emotion and where where that feeling comes from. For us, it kind of feels like this, from the depths of our hearts. From the depths of our bone. From, from the very core of who we are. That's where that feeling rises up at. That's where that compassion comes from. So for us, we might say it this way. I feel compassion from the bottom, from the depths of my heart. I feel this sympathy. I feel this pity for this, for this person, for this individual. Chances are you felt compassion for somebody before, right? Maybe a friend of yours has come up and they talked about the death of a loved one and man, your, your heart broke for them. And he's like, man, that's horrible. I feel, I feel bad for you. My, my heart breaks for that situation. Maybe, maybe you had a friend that came up to you and talked to you about a, a really sad experience that they went through, and you're like, oh, yeah, man, man, that's horrible. I, f- I feel bad. Or maybe for you, you were sitting on the couch, and, uh, and, you, and all of a sudden this commercial comes across the TV screen, and it's uh, these dogs that need to be adopted, and the arms of an angel plays in the background, and next thing you know, you're calling the 1-800 number because you want to adopt 14 cats. Uh, I don't know. Uh, 
I'm, I don't have 14. I don't have one cat, but I can tell some of you trying to adopt 14 cats. That's okay. All right? No big deal. But this word, splachnizomai, goes beyond just the feeling of sympathy. You see, in the Greek and the Hebrew language, there are 10 different words that translate as the word compassion. But this word right here, splachnizomai, is separate and different from all the rest because it's the one type of compassion that moves someone to action. It's the same words that's used when Jesus saw two blind men, and Scripture describes him as feeling compassion towards those two men, and then he heals them. It's the same word that describes Jesus and the fact that he felt compassion when he saw a man with leprosy, and he healed him. It's the same word that describes how Jesus felt, that he felt compassion towards the widowed woman, and then he went to her and raised her son back to life. Every single time, go back and do the study if you want to, but every single time Scripture talks about Jesus feeling compassion, this word right here, splachnizomai, is used, and every single time the compassion drove him to action. He couldn't just sit back and feel something. He had to do something in response to what he felt. Can I say this to us today? That if we feel compassion for someone or for a situation and then we don't, it doesn't cause us to do anything, then maybe we aren't experiencing the same compassion that Jesus did. That maybe we aren't showing the same kind of compassion that Jesus did. Maybe we're not showing the same kind of compassion that this Samaritan did as well. A compassion that drives us to do something. A compassion that causes us to move. A compassion that causes us that we can't just sit back and pat somebody on the back and say, God bless you, I hope it all works out. But the type of compassion that forces us to move forward and to do something. That we can't just sit back and not do anything, but we've got to act in some way, shape, or form. It's the compassion that when we hear about our neighbor who's been diagnosed with cancer, that we volunteer to take them to their treatments. It's the type of compassion that we hear about a neighbor who can't get out of their house, so we volunteer to go get their groceries. The type of compassion that we hear about, uh, that we hear about the loss of a loved one that our neighbors experience, and so we volunteer to cook them a meal, to mow their grass, to wash their car, to do something, because the heart breaks so much that we feel it so much in the depths of who we are, in the bottom of our heart, that it forces us to have to do something. The compassion that says, I can't just sit back and do nothing, I have to to move, I have to act, I have to do something to help out. When I was about 23, 24 years old, I was uh, working for a church uh, in, the, in the eastern part of the state, and uh, Danielle and I had just started dating, we hadn't, uh, hadn't gotten married yet or anything like that, and so I was, I was living by myself working at this church, and, and I woke up uh, in the wee hours of the morning, the early hours of the morning, and I felt this pain right here in the, in the back part of my back, and throughout the course of the night and the early part of the morning, I felt it moving towards the front. And I didn't know exactly what it was, but I had a good idea of what it was. And uh, come to find out I was right later on, but I thought that it might be a kidney stone. Okay, some of you have never had a kidney stone before. But let me tell you right now, it is by far the worst physical pain I've ever felt in my entire life. There is no position that you can get comfortable in at all to help make yourself feel better. But anyways, so I felt like, I, you know what, I need to go see a doctor. I need to go to the hospital. I need to be seen. And so I called my boss, who was my pastor as well at the time, and I called him up and I said, hey, uh, I'm not going to be able to come into work today. I think I've got a kidney stone. I'm not 100% sure, but I think that's what it is. So I just want to let you know I'm not coming in today. I'm going to go see a doctor. He said, Greg, just stay right where you're at. I'll be right there. I want to bring you something. And so uh, he showed up at my doorstep just a few moments later, and he had this little care package for me. Uh, he had had kidney stones before, and he thought that some of those things had helped him to feel better. He thought they might make me feel better. And then he said, hey, Greg, I want you to get in the car. 
like, what are you talking about? He said, I'm going to take you to the hospital. I'm going to take you to the emergency room. I was like, no, 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 it's fine. I got it. Don't, I, I can get myself there. He said, no, get in the car. So after a few minutes of arguing, I got into his car. He took me to the emergency room. I thought he was going to drop me off, but he didn't. He, bu- he dropped me off at the front door. He went and parked, and then he came and he sat in the emergency room. He sat there with me all day long to make sure that I was cared for, to make sure that I was seen, and to make sure that I knew that I wasn't alone. He saw the situation. He felt pity. He felt sympathy for the pain that I was in. But he didn't just say, well, hope it all works out. He had the kind of compassion that drove him to action. At the age of 12, this young girl felt strongly that she wanted to, that she felt strongly that God was calling her to be a missionary. And so at the age of 18, after a couple of months of training in Dublin, uh, she was sent to India. And she taught at St. Mary's High School in Calcutta. But after, after school was over, she would go outside and she would walk around, along the, uh, uh, the, the, the city. And she would see the children that were there and seeing their situation and see how impoverished they were and seeing how malnourished they were. And her heart broke for the situation. Her heart broke for them and for their families and, and the fact that they were not able to receive any kind of care whatsoever. So she went back to her superiors and she asked to be released from her teaching duties so that she could go and that she could minister to those that were hurting and were broken and were poor outside the walls of this school. And so they granted her that permission and she spent the remainder of her life, Mother Teresa spent the remainder of her life working with those that were hurting and broken and less fortunate. And when asked why, she said, it was my only response to what I saw. We see something, our heart breaks for it, and we respond to it. Church, for us to get this right, we got to be willing to be people who will show compassion and allow that compassion to drive us to do something. That compassion that causes us to act, not to just sit back and say, wow, that's bad, I hope it gets better, but to actually be a part of the better. To be part of things moving forward and getting better for our neighbors. So what did the compassion cause the Samaritan to do? Verses 34 and 35. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time that I'm here. The Samaritan does a lot. (laughs) He doesn't just do one thing. He does several things. The first thing that he does, he jumps off, and he goes over there, and he bandages uh, the man's wounds. He goes and takes care of him. Then he puts him on his donkey, and he walks him the rest of the way to get him to an inn, where he makes sure that he's taken care of, and he pays for his care. Man, he does so many many things to, to make sure that this man is taken care of. But we need not go past the first four words in verse 4, verse 34. Going over to him. That's where he began. He began by going over to him. Where did he start? He didn't start by thinking, uh, thinking all the things through. He started by going over to him. You see, if we're going to be people who are going to be able to serve our neighbors, then we must be willing to go to them. We've got to go to our neighbors. We can't just sit back and wait and think maybe that God will divinely pick them up out of their house and place them inside of our house and then then I'll know that I need to serve them. No, it's about us making ourselves available to them and going over to them and letting them know, hey, we're here if you ever need anything. I mean, if you you ever need need a, a yard mowed, I'm here. If you ever need your leaves raked, I'm here. If you ever need a meal, I'm here. If you ever need somebody to drive you somewhere, I'm here. Let me know how I can help because I want to be that good neighbor. You know, when we, when we learn about the Samaritan, we don't learn a whole lot about him or his background. 
We don't, we don't know. I mean, we don't know that he, you know, knew how to take care of bandaging up wounds or anything like that. He just did it. We don't know that he was in physically good shape to be able to walk the 17-mile journey. Because remember, it's a long way from Jer- uh, Jerusalem to Jericho. We don't know where on the path that this uh, incident took place, but he puts, puts the injured man on his own donkey. So he's got to walk the rest of the way. We aren't told that he had a lot of money and that he could afford the care of the man. He just simply went over to the man and did it. You see, the Samaritan didn't start with what you and I typically start with when it comes to when we start thinking about being able to serve someone. You see, we start thinking about all the things that we can or can't do. We start t- taking inventory about what they may ask. Well, that guy right there, he's going he's gonna to need medical care, and I'm no doctor. I can't provide that. Well, well he's going to need to be taken somewhere, and I don't have the time to take him to the inn. Well, well, he's going to need somebody to pay for his care, and I don't have any extra money to give. We start thinking about all the things that we can or can't do or the things that we want to do or we don't want to do. But what if we didn't? What if we didn't start with what we can or can't do? And what if we just started simply by going to them? See, I firmly believe this, that if we will start with going to our neighbors instead of starting with our limitations, God will provide everything else that we need. You don't seem convinced. All right, 2 Peter 1.3. By His divine power, God has given us everything that we need for a godly living. And my friends, what can be more godly than serving? I would suggest to you not much. Where do we get that from? John 13. Right before Jesus is about to be betrayed, arrested, and crucified. He gathers all of his disciples around for one final meal together. They're all sitting around the table, but something didn't happen. You see, it would have been, cu- it would have been a custom during that time to make sure that before you sat down to enjoy a meal, you'd have had your feet washed during that time. And that role right there was reserved for the lowest one in the room, for the servant in the room, for the one who held the, the lowest position. And nobody at the table, none of the disciples wanted to take on that position, to take on that role, to admit that, hey, I'm the, uh, out of everybody here, I've got the lowest stature. Nobody wanted to take on that role. So Jesus pushed back from the table. He picked up the water basin, he picked up the towel, and he went around and he washed every single one of the disciples' feet. None of them wanted Jesus to do that, but he did it for every single one. And then at the very end, This is what he said in John 13, 15. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Jesus did it for them. Jesus has served us. And now we are in turn to go and serve others like he served us. We can't do that if we're constantly thinking about all the things that we can or can't do. He didn't say anything about that. He just said simply go. So it's our job to go. It's our job to slow down and stop. It's our job to show compassion, and it's our job to go to them. In his book, Bless, uh, the book we kind of based this entire series off of, Dave Ferguson talks about a couple of things that are really important to pay attention to when you're serving your neighbor. And one of the things that he says is don't forget that you're serving them powerfully. You see, when we start thinking about serving, we might actually start thinking about some of those menial tasks that don't mean a whole lot, you know, uh, things that may not, we don't feel like are making that big of a difference. But Dave talks about, he says, listen, make sure that you remember this, that when you're serving and when you, are, when you are serving your neighbor, that you have the same power that raised Jesus from the dead living inside of you. And that same power is leading you to serve others. So he talks about as you're serving somebody, if they're sick, pray for them to get healed. He talks about if you're serving somebody who's got an addiction, pray for their freedom. He talks about somebody, if you're serving somebody with relationship issues, then make sure you pray for them to be restored together. When you're serving some people and when you're serving your neighbors, make sure that you don't forget that God's power is living and breathing inside of you and moving you to serve your neighbors. Reminds me of a story. 
that Bob Goff tells of his neighbor Carol. Uh, Carol was in her mid-50s when she moved into uh, his neighborhood. Uh, she had recently lost her husband. And so as uh, she came into the neighborhood, she started off as a neighbor and then became a friend. And pretty soon from that became part of their family. You see, uh, occasionally, uh, at least once a week or so, uh, Bob's kids would run over there across the street and they would go and they would spend time with Carol. They would show her uh, their macaroni art. They would show her the projects that they had done at school. Uh, they would talk about their day. They would invite Carol over for dinner and then they would spend time together. She really became a member of the family and uh, got to the point to where Bob was calling and checking in on Carol a couple of times a week. He called her one time and he could tell that there was something wrong by the sound in her voice. She said, Bob, I've, uh, I just got back from the doctor and he gave me some not so good news. I've been, I've been diagnosed with cancer. And Carol began to tell Bob about how scared she was. Ben began to tell Bob about how she was feeling in those moments and that she didn't know what the future was going to hold. She didn't know what she was going to do. And that she just began to talk for a few minutes back and forth. And Bob said, okay, Carol, well, this is what I want you to do. I want you, I want you to stay put. Okay, stay right there. I got a present that I want to bring you. She said, okay, Bob, I'll, I'll, I'll be right here. So a few moments later, Bob shows up on her doorstep with a gift. Rings the doorbell. She comes downstairs. She sees the gift. She opens it up. And sitting inside that box are two walkie-talkies. It's kind of like, really? That <laughs> doesn't seem like it's the fitting gift for this moment. <laughs> Bob gave Carol one of the walkie-talkies, and he took the other one back to his house. And they would get on these walkie-talkies, and they would talk. And somehow, some way, talking on these walkie-talkies began to lift her spirits. Because see, when they were talking on the walkie-talkies, it was almost like they were being transformed back to when they were kids. When there wasn't any pain, there wasn't any hurt, there wasn't any fear, there wasn't any sickness. would lift up those spirits. Some time would go by, and uh, Carol would start going through her treatments, and, and, and the cancer got pretty bad there for a while, and she got put into the hospital. While she was laying in her hospital room, she didn't know it, but Bob had snuck into the hospital room when she, wasn't, when she, was, when she was sleeping, and he took, grabbed the walkie-talkie, and he put it on her, uh, on her nightstand. And he snuck back out of the room, and he got back on the walkie-talkie, and he went, Carol, Carol. She reached over and grabbed the walkie-talkie and said, Is that you, Bob? He got back on and said, Who else would it be? Um, Carol would come home from the hospital Bob and his family, they would make meals for her, take them over there, go get her groceries. They would go and sit, and they would just simply be friends. They would sit, and they would talk, and they would listen. When she needed to go back for her treatments, Bob and his family, they would take her to her treatments. A couple of years after being diagnosed with cancer, Carol passed away. I know, not the end to the story that we would all hope for. But Bob talked in his book about how they saw God move powerfully in his life and in Carol's life in their moments together. And at the end, as she was coming to the end of her life, Carol knew a couple things. Carol knew, number one, that God loved her. Carol knew, number two, that there were people that loved her. Carol knew, number three, that she was not alone. And isn't that what we want for our neighbors? Don't we want them to know that God loves them? Don't we want them to know that we love them? And don't we want them to know that they are not alone? How are they going to know that? Because God's people are willing to get outside the walls of the church to slow down and stop, to show compassion, and to go to them.
That's what God's calling us to do, to be able to serve our neighbors. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand to your feet with me? We'll get ready to pray. We're going to ask for God's blessing and God's encouragement and God's wisdom as we prepare to step outside the walls of this church and to begin to serve our neighbors, to serve those that we work with, to serve those that we play with, to serve those that we do life with. So as we get ready to pray, I'm just going to ask you to do this if you're able to. If you would, would you just take your hands, turn them up straight towards the ceiling. We're just going to receive what God has for us today. So Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we pray right now. God, that you would speak to our hearts. God, that you would make them bigger than they've ever been before, more wide open for opportunities to be able to serve our neighbors. God, don't let us get so caught up in the busyness of everything happening around us. Help us to slow down and to stop. God, help our hearts to break for our neighbors, so much so that we can't help but to want and need to do something, or we can't find ourselves being at peace until we do something to help. Father, give us the courage, give us the boldness to go to our neighbors. So in your mighty name we pray for opportunities to be able to do that this week. I bless your people with opportunities to be able to serve like you serve. God, to be able to love like you love, to be able to show grace and compassion the way that you show grace and compassion. God, I commission your people right now in this moment and this time, God, to be a blessing into their neighborhoods, into their workplaces, into every place that they set foot. God, that as we are beginning with prayer, as we are listening, as we're eating, that we would have those opportunities to serve others and point them to you. Father, we receive it now. We walk out of this place commissioned, ready to do your work in our places. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, guys, one more thing right here before we let you go. Two weeks from today is Easter. I don't know if you put that in your head or not, but it's two weeks away from Easter. We are so excited about Easter weekend here at Upward. We got five identical opportunities to come and worship together. Thursday night at 7, Saturday at 5, Sunday at 9, 10, 15, and 11.30. It's going to be a phenomenal weekend. We want you to invite your neighbors, invite some friends, invite some coworkers to come and join you. It's going to be an amazing weekend. want to make sure you're aware of that. Hey, we love you so much. Thank you so much for being here. Make sure you're back here next weekend for the conclusion of the Blessed Series. Have a great week. We love you. Thanks so much for listening to this week's Upward Journey. If you would like to find out more about Upward Christian Fellowship in Flat Rock, North Carolina, you can look up our website at ucf.cc or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Upward Christian Fellowship. We invite you to join us next week as we continue the Upward Journey.